What's going on, guys? This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is John Kasman. John is a real estate investor who recently left his full-time position as a marketer at a very high level. John has been a, a successful marketer for some very major brands, Fortune 500 and 100 companies. He started investing in real estate years ago and, like I said, has recently left his full-time employment to be a full-time real estate investor. So good for him. Today, we're going to talk about a lot of the lessons that he's learned along the way that enabled him to build that successful of real estate business, leave his job, and ultimately achieve that financial freedom that he'd been working so hard for. John hosts the Target Market Insights podcast. Great show and where you can learn about marketing for real estate investors, how to select target markets where you're investing, and a lot of great other lessons from successful real estate investors. For those of you who do not know, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I am a real estate investor, real estate syndicator, and a busy professional just like you. I love talking about investing, helping others learn the important lessons they need to know to get started as investors, whether it's in real estate or stocks and bonds, just to make that first investment and grow a portfolio and build wealth passively. Without any further ado, here we go with John Kasman. All right, John, thank you for joining us today on Passive Wealth Strategies. Taylor, thank you for having me on. It's great to talk with you. I just saw you uh, a month ago as of this recording at the Mid-Atlantic Summit. Happy to catch up and, and hear all the great things that you've been up to. Uh, can you tell our listeners a bit about your background and where you got to where you are today before we get into the topic? Yeah, absolutely. So my background professionally is in marketing. So I've worked for marketing agencies. I've worked on the client side, really helping brands and individuals understand how to better sell and better communicate their services and products to uh, potential users, right? So I've done that for about 15 years. And, uh, you know, I started off working in Detroit and uh, moved to Chicago, went back to Detroit. And I worked for a large automotive firm at that time. And uh, we happened to go into bankruptcy. And while we were sitting there in bankruptcy, and it was something that was in my mind before. But during that time, I was really convinced that I needed to find a way to supplement my income where I wasn't solely reliant upon a W-2 job to make ends meet, right? So I was very interested in real estate. That was a thing that kept jumping out to me as something that was a great avenue to, to go down the path. I moved to Chicago about a year later, started investing in real estate with a two-unit building, uh, then bought a three-unit building the, the following year, uh, got the bug. We did really well with those first two projects, we bought an eight-unit building, flipped a couple projects, and I was doing really well, um, but the challenge was we were investing all of our capital into these deals, and we realized that there were a lot of people who were asking us how to invest in real estate, and as we talked to them more and more about it, uh, we realized they really didn't want to do it themselves. They just kind of wanted the benefits, so that kind of sparked our, our mind to say, listen, maybe there's an opportunity to partner with them where they can bring some of the capital to the table. We find the deal. We operate the deals. And we can grow from that perspective. And that kind of led us down the path of real estate syndications, ultimately. Okay, great. And, and we've talked about syndications on the show before, so that's not going to be a new topic to most of our listeners. But if it is to people that are listening, we have a lot of shows on this where we cover kind of the basic ideas. But you're partnering with passive investors to buy real estate is the super high level idea. And you and I know each other because we're both students of 
Joe Fairless. So how did that getting into his coaching program uh, line up with pushing you along the path or, or furthering your, your progress? Yeah, I had no intentions of one, hiring Joe, um, two, becoming a syndicator. Uh, so for me, it, it was one of those things where uh, I came across him really because I was living in Chicago. Uh, I now live in Cincinnati and I knew at some point in the near future, I would be moving to Cincinnati. And I was just looking to network with other people who are in this market. And I was on bigger pockets and someone said, oh, you should talk to this, this Joe Fairless guy. I said, cool. And I reached out to him and I say, hey, listen, I'm going to be in Cincinnati over the holidays. I'd love to grab lunch or something like that if you've got some time. He said, cool. And we met up and he told me what he had worked on. And at that moment, he had did a pretty large deal, is a 155 unit deal or something like that. And and raised over a million dollars for the deal. And he mentioned that he launched a coaching program to help other people learn how to work with investors. So at that time, you know, we had pretty much depleted our savings to invest in that eight unit deal. We had a couple of flip projects that we were working on. So I had already started to think about working with investors, but I was a little concerned that I didn't know what I didn't know. And in working and talking to Joe, for me, it was like, listen, if I can hire a mentor who has the experience, who's raised capital from other investors, who has gone down that path and has, you know, gone, done this, it may make my life a lot easier. And it kind of will force me to not force, but it will certainly motivate me to follow this thing that's kind of a thought in my head. And that really motivated me to take it from a thought and idea to action. Uh, once you hire a mentor, it makes it a lot easier to actually move forward and um, have someone lay out the steps and a plan and things like that. So I think mentorship is a great way to move forward. Uh, if you are serious about growing your portfolio, if you've already decided that multifamily is the way to go, hiring a mentor who has been down that pathway is a phenomenal way to gain that experience and grow. I, I totally agree. I mean, obviously, you know, we're not going to turn this into an ad for, for Joe's coaching program, but you know, it's, it's certainly helped both of us. But, uh, and this is a fairly broad question, but you said you were worried about, concerned about the fact that you don't know what you don't know. So the broad question is, so what didn't you know? What did you learn along the way that you didn't know you didn't know? What were some of those hidden landmines? Well, I mean, so to, to give you some context, my first deal, the reason I knew it was the right first deal was based on the location. I looked at it and I studied all the neighborhoods in Chicago to figure out the best place to invest. And out of 77 Chicago neighborhoods, there was only one that didn't lose any value from 2007 to 2011. And that was an area called North Center. So I didn't know anything else about how to find the right markets to invest or anything like that. But I looked at that stat and I looked at Lincoln Park and Wicker Park and River North and all these other more popular neighborhoods. And I said, I don't know what's happening in this little neighborhood, but whatever's happening here, if it can maintain its value in the worst economic recession of my life, I'm pretty confident it will be okay for the near future. So that's where we kind of zeroed in on and we made our purchase. So as we expanded, I, I didn't come across more nuggets like that where there was a shiny you know, arrow pointing to the market or the neighborhood to say, <laughs> this is the one. I didn't come across that again, right? And as we started to 
explore the idea of working with other investors, well, guess what? I need bigger returns because a 10% return on a deal is great for just me by myself and my wife. But if I have to give five of that or six or 7% of that to another investor and I only get two, three or 4%, is it really worth my time and my effort? No. So as I started going down that path, I knew, hey, we have to look for different deals. I need to look at different metrics. I don't know what investors will accept. And I don't want to go out there with the mindset of, hey, here's a deal that would have worked great for me that I absolutely would have done solo. But now that I have an investor, does it still make sense? Um, so just looking at all those different things, knowing that I couldn't just go off of MLS or go off broker relationships, and I would really need to scale in a different way. Not to mention, to be honest with you, and this is probably something I think everyone needs to hear, I was scared. I was just scared to ask anyone to invest. I was scared to talk to my friends and family and ask them to trust their money with me. I was just, I was petrified of it because I, I'm very confident in who I am and I've had a lot of great success uh, in corporate America and things like that. But I, at that time, I viewed it as if I was asking a favor where I was asking someone to help me. And that really was a big limiting belief of mine. And it wasn't until I went through that process where I realized that, hey, yes, you are asking people to, and you're going to benefit from it, but you're not asking them for a favor. You're presenting an opportunity because you have something of value for them. And when you understand what the value truly is, what the benefits are of investing, now you can have a more honest and open and confident dialogue about what you're doing. When you can build credibility in what you've done, what you're doing, and you truly know how you're going to help people, as opposed to only looking at how you benefit, that will change your, your perspective. And it makes it a lot easier to approach investors. So I think the two things that I was really looking for was one, where to look and how to structure the deal, but then also how to build the confidence to be able to raise large sums of capital for the deals we were looking to do. Okay. So you mentioned the limiting belief of thinking that you're asking someone for a favor when you're really offering them a, a genuine investment opportunity where they can make money and, and making that mindset shift. And one of the factors that you mentioned in there uh, being powerful and changing your mind about that was just the experience of having done it helped shift your mindset. But was there anything else that you did along the way? I don't know, maybe a book you read. Was it, was it working with Joe and talking with Joe about how he does it, uh, getting around people that, are, that, that did it already? Or, you know, because you have to get that initial experience somewhere, right? You, you can't just build experience with experience because that first experience has to come from somewhere. So, you know, what were other factors in there other than just the experience that helped you get over that limiting belief? Well, I mean, I think to your point, right, I think it's, it's easy to find the flaws and the weaknesses that we all have as individuals, right? Part of what you have to do is you have to focus on your strengths. So that's part of what I started to understand was, you know, when you look and you talk to people and you understand what they're doing and what you do really well, you really have to step back and look at yourself almost as if you were, you know, applying for a job. And what I mean by that is everyone, you know, they, they put their best selves forward when you're applying for a job, right? Your resume is going to highlight all of your successes, all the things you've done well, your accomplishments, 
all these different things. Now, certainly there are things that you didn't do well that you're not good at. Maybe you're, you know, you, you have your, your challenges there, but you have to also think about yourself and talk to yourself in that same way. You have to believe in yourself first before you can get anyone else to believe in you because you teach the world how to treat you. So I think part of it for me was just stepping back a little bit and not looking at this new industry in a way that scared me because of the unknown, but just recognizing the successes we've had. You know, coming into that, I was one of, a part of the team that turned around a brand and made it one of the, the fastest growing brands in America. You know, we've done $100 million advertising campaigns. I was one of the youngest, I actually was the youngest advertising manager, you know, in a large Fortune 500 company. So we had a ton of actual successes that I could hang my hat on. I just didn't understand certain aspects of multifamily investing and analyzing deals and things like that. The one thing that really helped me though, was to truly take every single obstacle or limiting belief and attack it head on. So for me, when it comes to, let's just say underwriting, well, guess what? I stepped back and said, I may not have the underwriting experience, but there are other people who do. Let me go learn from them. And I reached out to those people and I learned their processes. And, you know, I, I looked at things that not just my coach, but what other folks were doing in the space and the way they analyzed deals, the way they looked at um, effective income and their expense ratios and all those different things. And I learned from all of these individuals to the point where I felt that I gained enough experience and I gained enough knowledge where I felt very comfortable in the way we were doing that. And I kind of took every single obstacle and every single limiting belief and I attacked it that way. Didn't feel like I had the network to go out there and raise a large sum of capital. So part of that was starting to build the network, starting to engage people and starting to build the relationships, starting to be more open-minded and more expressive in what we were doing, telling people more about what we were doing. So just really attacking all of those things really started to change the landscape and the opportunities of what we could do and what we could become. Okay. And I don't think we, uh, I don't remember if we put this out there at the, at the beginning of the show, uh, but you have in the last few months, I don't know the exact timeline, but you have escaped the rat race, so to speak. You're, you're out of the job uh, force and you are full-time investing in real estate uh, concurrent with your move to Cincinnati. So, you know, that's just a, an example of these principles in action uh, as you've, you know, done enough deals to get to that point. So, you know, hats off to you. <laughs> so I, I think this is all, but this is all very important, tackling limiting beliefs in any kind of real estate investing that we're doing. Uh, what were some other stumbling blocks that you ran into along the way? I mean, there's always examples of, you know, how do I think about the mechanics of this? So, okay, I, I have to raise the money from the investors on the back end, but I'm, all, I'm also going to need probably a couple hundred grand in earnest money and legal fees and all those things. And, and maybe if your capital's all deployed, maybe you're not ready to invest all that money yourself. So putting the pieces in place, what did that all look like for you so you could go out and do your first syndication? Yeah, I mean, that was, that's, exact, that's a great question, right? Because all those things, the first time you try to do this, you don't even know what you don't know, right? You don't even understand how much you need for closing costs or due diligence expenses and 
all of these different things. So um, one of the biggest things for us, and this was really something that helped us gain a lot of traction, was I spent a long time looking for my own deals because that's what I had done. I had done my own deals. We found our own deals. We financed them. We executed. We operated. We built our own portfolio all by ourselves. So in the large commercial space, very few people, and I, I can't name any, so I want to say no one, but I'm sure that there's someone, <laughs> but very few people do it by themselves. They all have folks around them who are helping, whether that's with underwriting, working with brokers, analyzing the deals, walking the properties. There's always a bunch of different roles and hats to be worn. And I highly doubt that anyone wears all of, all of those hats. So with that said, part of it is understanding that you're going to need other people and you're going to need the relationships of other people to get in on some of these deals. So whether you're looking at capital and how much capital you have to invest versus how much you need to raise, there's certainly a certain amount that you're going to need up front, but it doesn't have to be all you. It doesn't have to be all your capital. And on the first larger deal that we did, we actually partnered with another operator where we were looking for deals for, I mean, probably a year. Um, because again, we're going from a deal that would work great for us to a deal that would work great for you know, us and investors deliver a, a double digit return. And, you know, th those are, those deals were harder to find, especially since we were looking still at the smaller scale. We weren't looking at 100 plus units. We were looking at like 20 to 50 units of uh, deals. So to get into that larger deal range, the numbers get bigger, the margins get bigger, and it's a little bit easier to find deals that can pencil out. So we ended up partnering on that first deal. And we, you know, we, did some market analysis. We did some market research. We helped with a lot of the marketing aspects, investor relations, bringing capital, a uh, multitude of different roles. And that made an, an easier transition because we were able to gain experience being involved in a deal versus having to do every single aspect by ourselves. And I will say for any of your listeners who are, whether they're passive right now or just interested in getting into multifamily, I tell everyone that that was a great way to get in. An even better way is to invest passively in a deal. Go from that, take your knowledge, take your real world experience and the actual credibility that you're going to earn from being a passive investor. Leverage that to now become a general partner in a deal. And then from there, you can transition to being a sponsor or operator if that's what you want to do. And the reason I say that is when you are a passive investor or a limited partner in a deal, you have skin in the game. And you also have real world experience. Certainly you don't have the experience to run the operation, but when you go talk to other investors, friends, family, people in your network, and you talk to them about what you're doing, it's going to be very credible when you tell them that, Hey, I've invested in this deal. Here's what I'm experiencing. Is this something that you might have interest in? That's going to be a much more natural conversation than simply approaching people saying, hey, I've got this deal under contract, do you wanna invest, right? So I think that is a very natural transaction, not to mention when you talk about experience, you invest 50K, 100K into a deal, you can ask all the questions you want. <laughs> yeah. You wanna know how the due diligence process works, how this thing works or whatever, why they made this decision, why they picked this loan versus that loan. You now have skin in the game and you can ask these questions to the operator 
and gain real world experience. So I think that's a phenomenal way and a phenomenal strategy to get in. The one caveat to that is that you need to make sure you are clear with your intentions with the operator, because if you're going to ask a million questions, uh, make sure the operator understands that you want to get an education with your investment and you will be asking questions. So you both understand how the relationship is going to play out because you don't want to get the mute button for sure. <laughs> I think that's uh, that, that last part is definitely very wise, uh, informed advice. Uh, but I agree. I mean, I started as a passive investor in syndication. You know, once I had decided I wanted to go that route, uh, started by meeting syndicators and looking at deals and just saying, all right, here's some you know money in my IRA. I'm going to invest it. And, and something that I've, I've observed just by uh, doing my own deals and then also continuing to passively invest is that a lot of the big syndicators without naming any names, a lot of them still passively invest in other people's deals for the reason, the reasons that you named in addition to them, you know, earning return on their investment, but it's also great relationship building. You get to learn a lot by going along the way, plus make a nice return, you know, hopefully on uh, whatever deal you're investing in. So I definitely believe that advice that um, if you want to get active then start as a passive investor, totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great way to get in. And I just, I think part of it goes back to um, just streamlining the, the approach, right? If you want to get in, what's the easiest path? Well, that's the easiest path. Uh, you're going to gain real experience and it's a great way to get into it. It's not the only path for sure. Um, I think hiring a mentor is another great way that, you know, uh, to, to get in and gain some experience. Um, so there's multiple, paths. and you can also jump into it as well. If you've got the the network and the relationships and the ability, then you don't need any of it. You can jump into it. There's going to be more risk if you don't have, you know, the, the, um, the, the support that you may need to understand everything that comes and that's involved in the various processes. But there's nothing to say you have to follow any one of these processes. We're just trying to mitigate risk and also streamline the process. If you've got the, the chutzpah, then you can uh, go ahead and do it all yourself. One other thing I'd like to ask you before we move on to the second half of the show is, you know, we just, like I said, we just at the top of the show, we just hung out at the Mid-Atlantic Summit and you were on stage a few times. It was a great uh, event that I plan on returning to next year, but I'm curious and I'm getting on stages more myself uh, at other people's events and I host my own event. How has the stage been valuable in your business and, and how have you prepared to be on stage to make it valuable in your business? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, I think there's two ways to look at that question, right? Um, and I'll, I'll answer the question, but the first part is what value can you provide? You know, when you go on a stage, when you have an audience of people who have come to learn to uh, find the tips, tools, and strategies to scale their portfolio, they're looking for answers and solutions. What typically happens is you hear people speak very high level. They'll speak about their own experience, and you won't necessarily get actionable nuggets that you can employ in your own business. So part of what I like to do is speak from a standpoint of whatever's happened to me or whatever I've experienced, that's an experience. What's more important for the audience is what does it mean to them and how can they take that piece of information and use it to grow? 
So for anyone who may be interested in getting on stages and speaking, it is an absolute great way to build your credibility, to grow in front of an audience, to connect with investors. Um, I like to talk about attracting capital. And some people say raising capital. Um, I like to say attracting capital. And the big difference is what work are you doing? When you're raising capital, you're picking up the phone, you're calling people in your network, and you're, you know, you're spending a lot of time in almost a sales mode, right? Because you're going out and you're, you're picking up the phone, you're following up with everybody and you're doing all this stuff. When you attract capital like a magnet, what's happening is you're putting yourself out there and people are coming to you. They've seen you on stage. They've listened to your podcast. They've come to your events. They already know who you are. They follow you on social media. They're in your email newsletter. So they already know who you are, even if you don't know exactly who they are. So when you attract the capital, it makes it a lot easier to engage in that conversation because you're allowing them to learn at their pace and there's no pressure for them. So the stage is a great way to do that, to get in front of a few hundred people. Yeah, there's certainly value in doing that. Um, but I would say it's not just the stage. I think it's what you do on the stage and what you do with the stage that really helps. Um, and then also who you're there with, right? So, you know, on that stage in, in Philly, you know, I share the stage with some phenomenal investors and some phenomenal speakers and just overall great people. So part of what I try to approach it with is to say, what can I do? What value can I bring that may be a little bit different than the other speakers? When I'm on stage with people that have 20 years experience or 15, 10 years experience, and I'm a little bit newer uh, as an operator, then part of my value is connecting with the group who is at the early stages and trying to get to that next level or, you know, kind of the conversation we're having here, someone who is taking very similar actions, but maybe hasn't crossed over that line to, to get up on stage or to build kind of the influence. It's really about influencing the influencers, you know, and that's really my key. If, uh, if, you know, I talked about my marketing background, but um, that's one of the main things that I used to do for a lot of big brands. And if you think about it, if you think about sponsorships, you know, why does Nike pay LeBron James whatever crazy amount of millions of dollars that they do? Why does Under Armour pay Steph Curry that amount? Why does, you know, why do companies hire celebrities and sponsors? It's because they want to convey that these individuals support the brand and because they support the brand you should support the brand it's a very similar thing with any business and it doesn't have to be celebrity we're talking about building up your credibility and when you do that part of what you do is you make sure that you are adding value and significant value to other people and if you can influence those influencers which is not easy but if you can influence those influencers, then they can help bring you along with it. So I think for me, I've been really good at helping other people wherever I can, creating stages, uh, providing value for those individuals. And if you create enough value, real value, if you create enough real value for the people, then you will have opportunities where they will create value back for you. Nice. I, I like that. I think um, anybody out there that's listening, that's been to real estate of events in the past or even just one real estate event, you probably noticed there is a difference between 
speakers and some of them, you know, it's, it can be pretty high level. Maybe it's not actionable, especially if you've been a few times. It's just like, all right, I've heard this before. Whereas a great speaker is going to, like you said, connect with you and give you, create value, which is, you know, to be honest with you, I find to be kind of a buzzword, but in the buzz phrase, but um, in essence, it's true that they do create value for you in some way, but it takes knowledge of your audience to know what is going to be value to, valuable to them. And I think you did a great job of that. So, you know, thank you. Well done. Well, but let's, I appreciate that. Let's, let's talk about the creating value though. Cause I agree with the buzzword, right? You hear a lot of people say create value, add value, you know, all of that, even value add when you're talking about apartments. Right. Right. And yeah. I think that <laughs> the word value has been thrown around so much that, in some regards, it's lost its context and its meaning. And in this case, what it means is it's not based on what you think is valuable, right? It's on what they think is valuable. So if I already know, and, and again, if, if you know something, then it's not valuable for me to tell you something you already know, even if the person next to you doesn't know it. So part of the value is going broad and deep, yet high level. And that is a very tricky thing to do to speak in a way where you can take a listener and no matter where they're at on their journey and give them something that is tangible to them that they can use to grow. So whether you have never heard of syndication um, or you're somebody who is raising millions of dollars right now, the way to add value is to give you a nugget or something that you can actually implement when we hang up, you know, and, and go put it in your business. And that's a very difficult thing to do. And to your point, you have to know your audience. You have to know what they're looking for. And you have to be able to kind of balance that to say, hey, I'm going to keep it high level so folks understand what I'm saying, which is what most speakers do. But very few of them bring it down to something tangible or actionable where you get a real insight. I think the insight is really important. You know, we're, there's so much information. We are drowning in information, but we are starving for insights. Nice. I like that. The, the target market insights guy is telling us that we're, we need more insights. You're absolutely right about that. And I think without uh, commenting too much on that, uh, that event, but one of the great things that they did is they split it up so that there were a variety of rooms with different speakers that kind of rotated and you could go to a, a an event or a speaker whose topic you were interested in. So you already had uh, a kind of a better, uh, more qualified audience than a, a general large uh, single room conference, if that makes sense. I mean, it was, it was a good sized event, but you had people coming to exactly listen to you. They know, they knew what they were coming for. And uh, you know, I, I think that that helped that particular event bring more, value to the speakers and to the attendees for sure. Yeah. Dave's event is a no pitch event, you know, and we, we host our own event as well, the Midwest real estate networking summit. And Dave was actually very instrumental in helping us out in the early days of planning and sharing information and all those things. He's been a speaker at both of our events. Um, and what I love about the event is it's a no pitch event. And the reason I say that, and the reason it's so important is it truly is based on education. A lot of events you go to, you know, they are quite frankly a sales stage 
for uh, whether it be a guru or whoever is there, right? And you go in and if there's not really a clear agenda and it's kind of one person speaking for, you know, eight hours, you know, it, you just really get this vibe that, hey, this isn't really about education. This is about, you know, loosening up the grips on my wallet. And when you go to an event that truly is based on education, you can relax, you can ask questions, you can network to your point. I can go talk to the speakers. You know, um, they're speakers that I have great relationships with who are on stage and I still ask them questions. Hey, how are you, what are you looking for in today's market? How are you underwriting to this? How are you doing that? And you can, you can exchange notes with them. And I think that's the beauty of going to a no pitch type of event versus an event where whether it's through kind of a, a national organization or if it is through um, kind of a, you know, a one person show or, a, you know, a, I don't want to call it a guru, but if you're going to something like that, you know, it's not necessarily rooted in you getting all the answers you need. It's in you getting excited enough to pull out your, your, your credit card and hand it over. Yeah, no, I, you're absolutely right about that. And, and you make a good point about the, the speakers being accessible at Dave's event. Um, you know, just the amount of time that, I FaceTime that I had with people that who are very extremely prominent on, on bigger pockets, for example, you know, huge thought leaders that are, are very accomplished real estate investors who you just walk up and say, hi, Hey, how you doing? Uh, you know, my name's Taylor, whatever your name is, ask them a question. And they're so friendly and it was great. I, I love that event. So I'll definitely be back next year. He did a great job with that. Yeah, it's great. A great event for sure. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, John, I got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am ready. Let's do it. All right. Number one, what is the best investment you've ever made except for education? You can't say education. All right. Real estate? Anything. Real estate or, or whatever makes sense other than All education. Right. All right. Look, best investment I ever made. I hope this sounds true to my intent and not weird. My wife. Um, I, you know, I could not tell you how important it is for me, at least to have my wife in my corner, but as a partner, as a life partner, helping me with, you know, everything from the business to the family and being so supportive. And we had deals that didn't work out and at no point did she ever, you know, um, criticize anything like that. She's always been very supportive and like ready to roll up the sleeves with me and, and, and figure out a way to get it done. And I will say that I, I meet so many people who don't have that type of person in their corner. And I believe it's easy for me to take it for granted because you need a great partner if you're going to have success in this, because this is a lot of work. It takes a lot of energy. There's a lot of effort that you have to put in before you actually see a benefit. I mean, if you've analyzed 50 to 100 deals and didn't find one at pencils, you can start going crazy a little bit. So having someone who has your back and is patient and supportive is a really important thing. So I'll definitely say my wife. Awesome. I love that. You know, like you said earlier, partnerships are important, whether you're executing deals and making them happen and, and setting them up and handing out roles and all those things, or you're just keeping your head on straight so that you can go do the deals or, or everything in between. So 
that makes a lot of sense. On the other side of that, what is the worst investment you've ever made? My first flip. My goodness. Oh, Let me tell you, that was a terrible one. I, you know, here's the deal. I'm at a point where um, there's something to learn in everything that you do, right? So there are a lot of lessons in that flip. Uh, a lot of lessons on partnership, our screening and vetting process of partners. Um, but then also just not being afraid. You know, you asked me earlier about, uh, you know, overcoming fears and limiting beliefs. I think one of those things was I had no desire to flip. I only did it to generate more capital so I could invest in real estate or multifamily. And because of that, I really leaned heavily on someone else. And I let them kind of drive the car and let them make the decisions. Even when I kind of sensed that they weren't making the right decisions. You know, I learned enough about flipping to know the basic rules of it, you know, the 70% rule and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they weren't really abiding by some of that. And I watched what they were doing. But nonetheless, I got nervous. And in conversations with them, I realized that things weren't going to work out. But it was kind of too far down the road at that point. And I would say my big takeaway is two things. One, Definitely vet people and follow your gut instinct on them as a person first and foremost. Stick with the character. I don't care how accomplished you are and what you've done. I don't care. If I don't like you, I don't get the sense that I can trust you. We're not doing business together anymore, period. So I stick by that going forward now. Um, the second thing is you can overcome anything. It may be hard. It may take way more effort than you want. Um, you may lose money but you can overcome it. So don't make decisions based on fear. Don't make decisions based on, oh, I'm gonna lose more money or, but whatever. Do what you feel is the best thing to do and don't let fear derail you from that decision. Nice, I love that. Last question, what is the most important lesson that you've learned in investing? Oh man, the most important lesson that I've learned is to really be honest with yourself and with the deal and the people like we just talked about. So uh, making sure that when you invest, you're investing in the people first and foremost, get the right people on the bus, figure the rest out later. Uh, but just work with really good people, trust the people, hire the best people, good people know other good people. So really focusing on that. And that's going to alleviate 50% of your problems, if not more, because even if you're a terrible underwriter, if you hire a great property manager, they're going to look at it and say, hey, you missed some things or in our market, this is what the norms are. We should expect this. So it's really surrounding yourself with the right people. So even if you're the weakest link, they're going to make you even stronger. So I would focus heavily on finding the right people to do business with, and they're going to help elevate us and the deal and everything else that we execute. Oh, man. I love that. John, thank you for everything today. Where can people get in touch with you? The name of your podcast, the URL, all that good stuff. Promo time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, thank you, Taylor. Listen, uh, you can find me pretty much anywhere on social media. I'm usually at Jay Kasman on Instagram and Twitter. The podcast is called Target Market Insights. We uncover the best places to invest, as well as we give multifamily and marketing tips. And uh, we have a special sample deal package available. So if any of your listeners want to check out a sample deal package, you'll also get on our mailing list. But you can see kind of how a deal comes together. So whether you're a passive investor and just want to check out the way different operators put things together, 
or you're an active investor and you're trying to figure out, hey, what should I put in a deal package? It's a great tool that you can leverage. We're giving away for free. Uh, talking about adding value. This is one of those things I struggle with, but I'm like, you know, let's just give it to them. But we're giving that away for free on our website. You can just go to caswincapital.com slash sample deal. Nice. That's actually a really great point. I get that question so frequently for people who want to be syndicators. They say, can you send me a sample deal package? And like, I mean, I have deal packages from past deals, but it's, I don't really know if I can send those to you if it's really going to fit what you need. So that's a great point. That's a, uh, just like you said, adding a lot of value. So thanks for everything today. And, and thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, Taylor. It's always good to see you, man. And take care. Hey, you too, man. Thanks everybody for tuning in. It's I had a great time on this one. I'm sure you did too. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. A very big help. If you know anyone that could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into our tribe. Once again, thank you for tuning in. I hope you have a great day and a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.